0: If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We'll be in Proverbs again. If you don't have a Bible, we keep them there in the seats. You can grab that one. We also display it on the screen, but there's something about having it open before you. So I just invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. And we're going to continue in our walkthrough, at least the highlights of this amazing book, the book of Proverbs. So, let's read. We're going to read all of the chapter. I'm going to read all of the chapter 9 to you. and, uh, And then we're going to walk through it. It's not very long. It's 18 verses. But here's what the Word of God says. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her young woman to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff... You will bear it alone. You, will, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the, on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray again. Oh Lord, I pray, I pray that none of us would scoff at your word this morning. None of us, not in our hearts, not with our lives, not in our, the actions, not in the decisions we make. Lord, as these invitations are placed before us, I pray that your grace would open our eyes so that we would, we would find the invitation to come to Christ compelling and to, and to go the way of miswisdom wisdom and to run from the way of miss folly Lord, I pray that there be no deaf ears this morning. And I, I pray that your, your word would do several things in our hearts. One, it would make us just super grateful for your grace and we would we would leave here with our hearts full of joy that you have loved us like this that you have sent your son to give us life in him you've opened our eyes to the beauty of the gospel I I pray that it would convict where we are turning to the world and to the ways of folly I pray that it would give us a hunger for the people who are around us, who are lost and outside of, um, outside of your grace right now. Lord, I pray that you would put on our hearts, Shadron, that we would, we would long to see unbelievers here turn by faith to Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger to see this message, this invitation go to the ends of the earth, to the nations. Through missionaries, through our own efforts. And we want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. There's someone calling aloud, come eat this bread, drink this wine, live. I need your help, Father, Father. And pray that you would work in me now to proclaim your word clearly, handle it well. I know that I can't persuade anyone. It's going to be a work of your spirit. And so I rely on your spirit and your word. Use those in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So perhaps you saw the film uh, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Anyone see that movie? Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, It's pretty funny. I don't know. It's worth watching. um, Maybe. I'm not endorsing movies up here, but um, it's better than the book it's based on. I'll say that. Uh, What really gets Alexander going on his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day is that he's planning his birthday party, right? Remember this? He's planning this huge birthday party. He really wants it to be great. He's inviting everyone. And then the most popular kid in the school, Philip Parker, I think his name is, is having a party at the exact same time, and he's got some pretty expensive equipment, or pretty expensive entertainment coming, and everyone, even his closest friends, decide that they'd rather go to uh, Philip's party than Alexander's, and this really bums him out. So, two parties, same time, right? Two competing banquets, and everyone is faced with a choice to go to the one or the other, and it's all based on the content of the banquet. That's the message of Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9 is basically two invitations. If you you want to analyze this uh, chapter, it's it's, it's three sets of six verses. Um, Verses 1 through 6 is the invitation from Miss Wisdom. It's the first part. And then the last part, verses 13 through 18, is the invitation from Miss Folly. And then in between those is verses 7 through 12, which I think is a sort of fine print. The fine print tells us or it warns us why we would choose one or the other of these invitations. Why we would go to Mrs. Wisdom's, Miss Wisdom's banquet or why we would go to Miss Follies. That's what the verses 7 through 12 tells us. Why we would go to Miss Wisdom's house full of a scrumptious feast of meat and spiced wine and satisfying bread and life or why we would go to Miss Folly's for a seductive nightcap of stolen water and stale bread. And death. We receive these two competing invitations all the time. Hundreds of times a day, I think. All the time. We're faced with these. There's a sense in which we get these invitations in a broader, bigger picture kind of way. Where you will go with your life. Like, which banquet with your life you'll go to. Folly or wisdom. And there's a sense in which today you're going to be faced with this, right? This week, everyday decisions, and all the time you have these two invitations, which way will you go? You might be very tempted to go to the one, even though the other one is calling and is infinitely better. There's a decision we make with our lives, and it's one we make a 100 times a day. In a way, this is a fitting conclusion to this first section of Proverbs. This actually most, most people see Proverbs as like one through nine as a section. And this is a, a fitting way to end this. The remaining sermons of Proverbs this summer, after this one, will go a little differently. We're going to treat them a little differently. But until now, we've tried to capture the flow of most of this first section. As we've walked through this first section, we've preached four sermons on the choice between wisdom and folly. And then, so that like in general, and then we spent time specifically too, right? So on specific choices. We gave a Sunday to the choice between the wisdom of marital fidelity versus the folly of sexual sin. We spent another Sunday on the wisdom that, that decides to make this life count, to make our days count each day, and the folly that wants to sleep instead of work. We spent a week thinking about the wisdom of humility and truthfulness and kindness and unity building versus the folly and of pride and lying and harming others and that divisive spirit that we can harbor. Proverbs 9 and this sermon is kind of a wrap-up of all of those themes. And what I really want to highlight this morning is that there really are two invitations on your fridge. I don't know if that's where you put it. That's where we put our invitations, you know. There's two invitations on your fridge, and you have to decide which party you're going to. There's a broad and a specific way we have to see this. This is broad, meaning has to do with all of your life. Will you follow Jesus Christ with your life and eat at the banquet he set for us, one that is both hard and infinitely satisfying? Or will you head to Miss Folly's house on a trajectory away from God, a party that seems fun for a while but ends in death? That's the broad question. The specific questions come up all day long in so many small ways. The message of Proverbs 9 isn't primarily a one and done thing. This has to do with the many decisions we make every day. So the specific question is, which invitation will I accept today, this evening, tomorrow, and the broad ones with my life? So let's begin by unpacking these two invitations. There's a feast prepared up at Miss Wisdom's house. That's the picture here. So just picture it. You can see it in verses one through six. The writer's really making a contrast, even in the way he sets this up. There's a house. She's built a house for this, right? She's hewn out seven pillars. I mean, this is, there's a lot of work that went into this feast, this party. This is a, and this is absolutely a time-tested and established banquet, Later on, when we get to Miss Folly's invite, there's no building, no work. She's just assumed her place in the city, and she yells a lot. And that's how sin and righteousness are contrasted. One, one is the way, and it's established by God, and the other is a departure of the way, a cheap imitation of that way. One way sin grabs our hearts is that it appeals to a penchant for that, that something new and innovative and enchanting. And there's this anti-establishment vibe in many of us that really digs that. I think that's why many people abandon the church. The, the, the old thing is old and I want something new. It's not new. Sin's not new. But that's what we think. Well, Miss Wisdom has established herself in wisdom with a lot of work. Note that, uh, that she's the one who's done this work. And note with me also that it's all done. Miss Wisdom is not inviting us to come help her build the house. She's not saying, hey, come help me hew these pillars. Help me slaughter this animal for the feast. Help me bake the bread, mix the wine. It's all done by her. And she invites us to come and enjoy and rest in her work. And I hope you know where I'm going with this. It's, it's really good news. The work, friends, is done. Christ has established the house, as it were, with his substitutionary death, dying in our place, satisfying God's wrath against sinners like you and me, rising in tr- again in triumph in life. Jesus has done the work, and it's, and it's done. The invitation of the gospel is not that you would come by and help Jesus. The invitation of the gospel is to come and rest in his work. The work that he has done. And then enjoy the savory benefits of his work. The feast of meat and the mixed wine and the bread of life. This is grace. God has thought of everything we need too in this grace. Everything. Notice the thoughtfulness of verses 1-6. through This mixed wine means that she's mixed in spices to make it all the more enjoyable. There is meat at this feast. And by the way, that ought to just seal the deal right there for us, right? There's meat at this feast. Miss Folly's not serving meat. (laughs) This is a good place, a good feast, and better than anything the world has to offer. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come, I came that they may have life and have it more abundant and have it abundantly. This feast is abundant life. Miss Wisdom is not inviting you to Mickey D's or to a life that is less in any way than what the world offers. She's inviting you to come and sup and be satisfied forever. Look with me at verse three. She has sent out her young woman to call from the highest places in the town. Now, I'm sure that's in contrast to Miss Folly, who simply yells. Perhaps we can even see more grace in this, though, than that. Miss Wisdom wants her invitation to be heard. And so what does she do? She sends out responsible people to take this message everywhere so that everyone will hear it. I mean, isn't that a picture of what God has commanded with the invitation of the gospel? I mean, Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I don't think that's different from what Miss Wisdom sending her people to call from the highest places in the town. I think it's all the same. God's grace is seen in the way he has spread the invitation the invitation to dine at his house forever through the person and work of Christ. And he has commanded that to be proclaimed everywhere. We have been called to pass out the invites, as it were. And you, friends, you are recipients of that grace. You've you've heard the invitation. You've, You've heard the gospel preached. You're hearing it now. And whether or not you believe it or reject it, God has shown you the grace of the gospel being preached to you. You, you were born in a place where the gospel would be proclaimed. Many of you grew up with parents who, who told you the gospel. You've been in churches where the gospel has been preached. That is God's grace to you. He has not left you in darkness. Now think about who this... Whom this invitation is for? You, you, you can see the answer to that question, who this is for, in, in verse four. This invitation is for whoever is simple. By the way, that's the same person Miss Folly is aiming at in verse 16. They're both inviting the same guy, Mr. Simple, to their, to their different banquets. So who is Mr. Simple? I think the answer is easy. He is all of us, to one extent or another. I think simple, in this context, it could be translated naive, and it simply means to lack something, like a naive person lacks knowledge. And that's all of us to one degree or another. We all need God's grace. We all lack. We're all sinners. Isaiah fifty-three six famously says, all we like sheep. I mean, what could be more simple than sheep? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all Mr. Simple. We all need God's grace in our lives. This is actually why these two invitations are so relevant. We have a need, all of us. All of us have a need. We're all wanting to satisfy that need. This is the age-old question of purpose. We're all, in a sense, simple, and we need something. Sin has created a gigantic need in our hearts. We don't know where to turn always for that need, but we all have that need. Someone once said, it's like a, a God-shaped vacuum in all of our hearts. We all have it. And Miss Wisdom knows this, and in love, she invites us to come and to eat with her, and never hunger again, and leave our simple ways behind. This reminds me very much of that Samaritan woman with, with, with whom Jesus was talking at the well. Do you remember the story? Jesus met a woman, a Samaritan woman, at the well in Samaria, and Jesus talked with her. And while he's talking with her, he's demonstrating these two giant truths. Truths: She was needy. And Jesus could meet that need. What she needed was Christ. Jesus was showing her that she was not satisfied with the path that she had chosen. Even though she was kind of ingrained in, that, in the cynicism of it, she was not satisfied. Her path was one of Brokenness and hurt from beginning to end. If you recall the story, she had five husbands. And the one that she was living with now was not her husband. I mean, just think of the tragedy just in that. Five relationships started and ended. Probably started with like very inviting, lots of hope. And ended, however they ended, with sadness and brokenness. So much hurt. And yet she kept trying to find her satisfaction there. She craved something more and the world wasn't providing it in a way that satisfied her heart. And as she talked with Jesus, you can even hear the, the hints of cynicism that had developed in her heart over those hard years. The way that she responded to Jesus when he offered her water. Jesus exposed that reality in her. She was needy. But he wasn't just being mean. Like he wasn't just being cruel. Like just trying to like open her up to show her her need. He was being gracious. Jesus showed her that she was needy so that he could open her eyes to the truth that in him and in him alone, she could find what she's been searching for her whole life. Listen to John four thirteen through 15. This is Jesus speaking to her. He says, everyone who drinks this water, the physical water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whoever is simple Let him turn in here. Come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Drink of this water and never be thirsty again. Leave your simple ways and live. Do you see yourself here in Mr. Simple? Or the Samaritan woman? Do you relate? Oh, friends, I do. I see me. Note that Miss Wisdom is not inviting Mr. Simple to stay simple. She is inviting Mr. Simple to come to her and leave his simple, unsatisfying ways and live. Look with me again at verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. That's, that's the invitation to follow Christ. Come just as you are. By all means, come. Don't let your, you know, like your sinful past keep you from coming to Christ. Don't think that you have to somehow straighten that out first. Come. Simple. Come to Christ by faith, and in your coming, in your turning to him, turn from your sin. In other words, turn to Jesus and repent of your sin. When we turn to Christ, we turn from our old ways. We repent. Leave your simple ways and follow Jesus and walk in the way of insight. Jesus changes the simple. He radically transforms the simple. He invites the simple and then changes them from the simpleness of their lives. If you will acknowledge that you are Mr. Simple... And that Jesus is the answer. If you will come to him, leaving your old ways, repenting of your sin, then you will live. That's the message of verse six. And I think that's amazing grace that God has shown us in Christ. Our hearts, no matter where we are in relation to that truth, our hearts ought to explode with gratitude to God for his grace. All right, so that's the first invite. Invite number two is the nightcap at Miss Follies. The, the other invitation on your fridge It's to go to her house. You can see that in verses 13 through 18. And everything, everything that Miss Wisdom's invitation is, Miss Folly's isn't. But make no mistake, hers is dangerously appealing. It is seductive. That's, That's the word in verse 13. It's seductive in that it draws you in. The appeal is for the easy or for the pleasurable or for the comfortable or for the instantness of the gratification or from the newness. And all of it appeals to us and sometimes very strongly. She is seductive. She is appealing. And it makes us believe that if we don't eat that feast at her place, we will miss out miserably. And again, we are Mr. Simple. So we have, we have sensed our need for something more. And Miss Folly is quick. She's right there at the door to say, I have it. I have what you need. I am what you need. Verse 17 says, stolen water is sweet. And you know, there's a bit of truth in that. That's, that's, not, that's not a full-blown lie. It's a lie, but it's not a full-blown lie. Stolen water does seem sweet to us at first. The deception is not that it's not sweet at all, but that it's not always sweet or sweet forever. Stolen water is sweet for a time and then it is exceedingly bitter. In fact, the author tells us how bitter it is in verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there. You see that? That's where this water leads. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol or hell. Sin is bitter in the end. And that doesn't just mean the bitterness of sin is something that you're going to taste like in in, in the future. Like the bitterness of sin is something that you're going to taste in the next life. That's true. But you will taste that bitterness here too. In the end, all who sup at Miss Folly's table will taste the nasty, bitter aftertaste of sin. All sin has consequences. Massively so. If only Mr. Simple would have known that beforehand. If he had, there would be nothing seductive about this invitation. Why didn't he know? Think about it for a moment. Why didn't Mr. Simple know that? Is it that no one has told him? You think he grew up and like no mom said, Hey, listen, this isn't the path. Or maybe he's never been to a church. Maybe he'd never had a youth pastor who said, hey, this isn't the path. This is the path. You think he never heard a sermon like this? Maybe. Maybe he had all of that. And maybe he still went to Miss Folly. So the question is, why? Why would he go to Miss Folly when all she's serving is stale bread and stolen water when there's a feast awaiting in Christ. Well, let's look together at the fine print of verses 7 through 12. And for the sake of time, I will only point out three major things that I see here. I saw about 10, but I'm going to point out three about the scoffer versus the one who is wise. This is why, okay, this is some of the preconditioning of why one person would go one way rather than the other. First, a wise person listens to correction while a scoffer attacks the corrector. A wise person listens to real wisdom. You can see that in verses 7-9. through reproof, correction, instruction. It only works for one who is wise. A scoffer will not listen. He will not listen to your correction or to your insight or to your instructions or to this sermon. No, his, his or her pride keeps him from thinking. Keeps him from believing. It keeps him thinking that it keeps him in that dangerous place of thinking he knows best i you know there's so much practical that you have to think about there like when someone corrects you what's your first impulse when somebody says something that man maybe you shouldn't do that mike what's your, what's your first impulse The scoffer's first impulse is to attack and to abuse. His defense mechanisms kick in, and instead of listening to the correction for the truth that might help him to grow and learn and leave his simple ways, he simply attacks the one who is correcting him. You're not perfect. Who are you to tell me that? Who are you to judge? You failed too. How can you judge me? And I think that's our default reaction. In fact, I mean, I think we even do this as small children, as toddlers. In fact, as I I was preparing this, a young mom shared um, how something like this went with her child last week. One day, she was impatient with her toddler daughter. daughter, daughter's a toddler, she was impatient with her and she had to apologize and ask forgiveness. And she explained to her toddler that impatience is sin and that she was sorry for that sin. She's telling her, I'm I'm sorry that I I sinned like this against you. Would you forgive me? It's good mom moment right there, right? Like, well done. The next day, the mom was correcting her daughter for something totally unrelated. And you know how her daughter responded? Mom, you sinned against me yesterday. (laughs) You see, folly is bound up in our hearts as children. Because of our sin, And because of the fall of Adam, there is a predisposition to scoff when we should listen. I think that ought to be a warning to us, a huge warning. I think it's here as a warning to us. You are predisposed to scoff when you need to listen. A wise person hears... Because he wants to know the truth and grow and repent when repentance is needed, the wisdom of hearing correction is evidence of God's grace in your life. Opening your eyes to your own simpleness and waking you up to Mrs. Wisdom's invitation. I think there's so much application. I, you know, I was just thinking, like, what's, what's the last thing that really ruffled my feathers? Somebody said to me that really ruffled my feathers. What was my response? What did that ruffling look like? Did it quickly give way to the wisdom of hearing and listening? The second truth I want to highlight from from that fine print is that a wise person knows that the foundation of true wisdom and insight is the fear of the Lord. You can see that in verse 10. There is a presupposition that the wise person brings to the table. He already thinks this, and that is that God knows what is best for his life. His ways are higher than my ways. He is true, no matter what man says. Even if lies surround me on all sides, God is true, and what he says is right. And again, I think that's evidence of God's grace. By God's grace, it's clear to the wise person that he must fear the Lord. That's the starting place of wisdom and insight. That's his presupposition. That's so helpful. You know, we don't merely rely on the guy who sounds the best, who can, you know, most cleverly put it. We're, We're not listening for who makes the most compelling case. We aren't looking at those invitations on our fridge for the best font. We have the Word of God. And the beginning of true wisdom is fearing God. And I think that means fearing and believing what his word says to us. The third truth from verses 7 through 12 that I want to highlight is that everyone is responsible for the decisions they make. Look again at verse 12. It says, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it friends if you reject god's word and his wisdom for your life you have no one to blame but yourself you're not going to stand before god and say what adam said remember what adam said when god confronted him for a sin the woman that you gave me she gave this fruit to me and i did eat you're not going to say that or if you do it won't fly it didn't fly with adam we are responsible for our actions and our decisions and our obedience, the obedience of faith or our lack of obedience, our disobedience, our rejection of truth. So there's fine print in these two invitations. The, the wise person will hear correction and want to change while the scoffer will just keep on scoffing. The wise person is wise because in the first place, the fear of the Lord that's where, it, he, he knows that's the beginning of wisdom. By God's grace, he knows he should listen to God. And all men and women are responsible for whether they scoff or whether they are wise. The wise person will go to Miss Wisdom's house. The fool will go to Miss Folly. Friends, that fine print is there by way of warning as a means of God's grace to you and me. I think it's a means of God's grace so that we might turn to miss wisdom and reject miss folly Warnings are a means of God's grace. Will we hear that warning? As I said, I think that there are broad and general ways and smaller, specific ways to apply Proverbs 9. So let me do this as I try to wrap this up, okay? Let me... Let me begin with specific, the specific ways and just move to the broad. Let me just offer a couple of totally made up scenarios to give you an idea of how you can apply this in the hundreds of different ways that you should apply this in your life. Okay. Even this week. So let's say you're working on your taxes and you get to a place where it would be really easy to fudge just one little number, one little number. Miss Folly's right there, seducing you, telling you how sweet the water would be for your bottom line, and how taxation stuffed anyway, so it doesn't matter, right? So you don't need to be obey and be honest. You won't be checked. You can get away with this. What's one little lie that you can say was a mistake later? That's what Miss Folly's saying. Just do it. Stolen water is sweet. Again, in that moment, you have two invitations. Two invitations. Miss Wisdom's is better. Okay, let's say, totally different scenario. Let's say you're home, alone, at night, in your dorm. No one's around. You have your device. And there's this movie that you want to watch that you know is full of things that your eyes should not see. Not because you're too young. None of our eyes should see this. There's no such thing as an adult movie. There's nothing adult about it. You know, you know this wouldn't be good for your heart. You know this won't be good for your purity. You know you're going to see images that you're you're going to remember for a long time that's not going to like stoke your affection for God. Miss Folly's right there whispering to you, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. No one will know. But Miss Wisdom's there too, warning you, that way does not lead to life. Leave your simple ways and live. Her invitation's better. Or let's say that you're, you're, you're alone in your apartment with your boyfriend and you really love him, so what's the big deal? This is literally what most of our culture does. So what's the big deal? Why should I wait why should I listen to Mrs. Miss Wisdom's wisdom? Because Miss Wisdom's invitation is better. Do you see just hundreds of different ways to apply Proverbs 9? We must apply this every day. It comes up all the time and very specific and in a very general and broad way too, Miss Wisdom is calling for you to turn into her place with your life and reject the ways of the world and repent of your simple ways. She's inviting you to live while Miss Folly's doing her level best to get you to go her way, to waste your life the way that most people do and sadly will I want you to know what you might not know. There's dead people in there. Her guests are in the depths of hell. Two competing invitations. One leads to life. Oh, won't you look to Christ and be saved? He is true wisdom. He is true life. You are simple. I am simple. You are needy. We're all needy. Jesus is the answer to that need. Which invitation will you hear this morning? Jesus is better. I'm going to pray and just close in a moment, but I just want to tell you that if If this has struck a chord with you, those guys who stood up in the beginning, the elders and the deacons, if this has struck a chord and you want to talk to somebody, go talk to one of us. I'd be happy to talk with you. Any of those men would be. Or others here. We'd love to help you see the way of Miss Wisdom. We'd love for you to see this invitation to turn in there. Love to talk to you. The invitation is open for you to come see us after this service. I'll linger just a bit. Jesus is better. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would open our eyes by your grace to the invitation of Miss Wisdom, that we would not look for another moment with longing towards the empty path of Miss Folly. In all of our ways, Lord, we want to turn to you. We want to believe. We want to trust in Christ. We want to make our lives count for your glory. We we want not to waste this life. Lord, I, I pray. I pray for us as parents, those of us who have children that we're trying to disciple in the Lord, I pray that you'd help us to help our children see this truth. That Jesus is better. I pray that we would set our hands to the plow of helping our children see that and believe that. And Lord, I pray that all of us as believers would, 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 would want to help our neighbors see that as well as the nations. If this invitation would go out. That we would, we would shout it. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And Lord, I also pray that you would stoke these fires of praise in our hearts. Lord, you have redeemed us by your grace. You are better. We have tasted it. We know that that feast is better. And we sing about it now. In Jesus' name, amen.